Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. I'm Nikki Bandini. On today's edition, Mamma Mia, the big guns of Italy line up for the Super Cup and a familiar face bags the winner. Also, por favor, the big guns of Spain are squaring up for their own Super Cup. And the 17 million euros a year man, the German champions, didn't need the transfer window to get him, but is he worth it? Nikki, apologies for the Mamma Mia. I had to do it. I had to do it. Should we talk about the Super Cup? In real terms, then, it's uh, the old usual suspects, maybe? Yeah, something sort of um, quite familiar about it, although this isn't actually a matchup that we've had in the Super Cup for for a long time because Inter haven't won the league for a long time and they actually haven't done particularly well in the Cup either. Um, So... It's the first time they've won it. In fact, the first Super Cup they've won since 2010, um, when they last won at the well, when, when they trip when they won the treble. So before and the last league title before Antonio Conte came along. So it was a a landmark win for Inter. Actually, I think a lot of people felt like when you sort of take a step back, especially, and you even just wind back to this summer, there was a lot of people felt like we'd reached the end of an Inter project already, that we'd had this sort of moment under Antonio Conte. They'd won the league and then he'd gone, Lukaku had gone, Hakimi had gone. It was like someone had showed up the minute they won the title, like the um, uh, the repo people had showed up and started taking all the, all the pieces away and, and told them, you know, they'd, they'd spent too much and, and were reclaiming everything. And, and I think this was a moment to sort of really validate what we've already seen in the league this season, which is that's not true. They have actually um, not just uh, managed to 
maintain some of what they had under Antonio Conte, but that they're actually becoming something completely different under Simona Inzaghi that is, you know, in some ways even better. Um, so it's it's the Super Cup, it's the lease of Inter's ambitions probably for this season, but it's also the first one they could win this season. And I think it's it's not at all to be dismissed. I think it was it was quite an important and, and big moment for them in their season. And it's, it's, but, it's great to see it being about coaches now from <laughs> from Conte to Inzaghi. Yeah, and um, you know, it, it did feel as if Inter were only going one way when Conte went. And that's before we even get to Hakimi and, and, and Lukaku. I think because the Lukaku thing was such a big deal, it almost needs a bit of reminding that yeah. Antonio Conte went as, <laughs> as, as, as well. And um, look, Inzaghi has done an in, incredible job. But um, you're, you're right, Nicky. The way that Inter celebrated it, it was really joyous. Yeah. And I think to... And on to, the other to, side to crush that. Juventus in that way was a big deal as as well, wasn't it? You saw like on the on the touchline Bonucci, who they were going to bring yes. on to to take the pen, losing his rag with because they couldn't stop the game in time. The winning goal was scored by Alexis Sanchez, and he was losing his rag Bonucci with a member of of staff of of, of Inter. The, 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 the fact that they've got to him like that, and and Sanchez is losing his clothes. Like I looked away for a second, and suddenly he's got the thermals off, and he stood completely bare chested, <laughs> freezing in Milan. There's a the lot way. of layers freezing to get cold, off, yeah. weren't there? Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think I think that was exactly actually something that I was thinking um, when you, just before um, uh, you said that, Andy. Is I think it it wasn't just that you saw it in Inter's in Inter's celebration. You saw it in Juventus's response to losing. Juventus did not take this lightly Bonucci was furiously sort of getting into it with Inter's team secretary he'd been waiting to come on to be a penalty taker um, I think you looked at the other faces of Juventus players people were dejected they, and I think it was interesting as a game because Juventus are far behind behind into this season it isn't what we expected in the summer they were the bookies favourites to win Serie A at the start of the season and and they're far behind but they actually played this match I think to the best of their means, mm. bearing in mind they have yeah. quite a long injury list. You know, they just lost Federico Chiesa for the season. Um, they played well within themselves, not as well as Inter. Inter a better team than them now, but they played it out to, to they played to their outs, I guess, and their out was to get it to penalties, and they got so close to it, and then and then had it taken from them at the last minute by of all by people, a penalty Alexis of all Sanchez. people. I've seen him do it before, actually. I've seen him do that before. Pop up in a cup match. It was a semi final though at Wembley uh, when the Spuds were uh, using the uh, Wembley Stadium as their home stadium yes. against Man United. Shortest man on the pitch. Shortest mm. man on the pitch gets a header from a corner, <laughs> jumps above everybody else. That's Alexis Sanchez for you. And we see so little of that these days. I, I think that's the interesting thing, really, about his, his spell with Inter. It's a bit like when we're having this discussion about Felipe Coutinho at the moment, and when he comes back to Villa, how much of that player who we know can do all those things is still in there. And I find it hard to completely write him off because even though he hasn't played much in the last couple of years, there's been enough to suggest it's still there. I think you could argue the same with Alexis Sanchez. I mean, what has he started? Four Serie A games, I think, this this season. He's a lion in a cage, Andy. <laughs> he's, he's a monster. In his words. He describes himself as a monster. I, I loved his, his language after the, after doing it. I mean, you could see, like, it's, that's a fascinating sort of... Uh, and I, I think it's fascinating because... It's actually a subplot to this game that could have been that wasn't. Is that in the 75th minute, Inzaghi takes off together Jekyll and Lautaro, who is starting strike partnership. And 
you then go to the 121st minute without really many other chances. It's funny you said about the header at Dutton because the goal that he scored wasn't a header, but actually Sanchez did have one header and that was probably the only real chance almost between the end of the 90 minutes and the 121st minute that there was nearly a goal. It's, he did get a, a header in in in, a, in the middle of the box from a corner that was inches wide. Um, but yeah, I, I think the um, the sort of greater narrative of of Inter's going on and there's this narrative of of um events going on and then Alexis Sanchez is his own story and I think that if the Inter had not won this game Inzaghi might even have been crucified by the press for taking off his two strikers but maybe he knew it that Sanchez has this sort of desire to resolve things and to to put an imprint on a game like this and and it came out so into two Juventus won, and it begs a question, well, it begs many questions, and some of our listeners have been sending us their questions and tweeting this from Brian. How are Inter doing so well? Uh, Last Mm. summer, they were in financial shambles, uh, sold key players, and their manager walked out on them. Is it more of a case of other top Serie A teams doing poorly then? Well, certainly events have gone backwards. And I think, you know, I have to hold my hands up on this one. I was in the camp that thought that, yes, losing Ronaldo, you're going to lose something, lots of goals. But Kez is coming on and, and you can sort of adjust and be something different. And and the fact is that events have taken a huge step backwards. Uh, in the meantime, I would say that Milan have probably taken a step forwards and, and Napoli as well. So it's not like the whole field has fallen away. Juventus were fourth last season. They weren't the team that was even the closest rival. I I think that, What's happened is that Simone Inzaghi has come in and he's he's taken the team on somewhere. And I, I don't know if I can say which team is better last season's team or this season, but they're definitely different. And I find that really interesting with Inzaghi because if you'd asked me about him when he was at Lazio, maybe less so towards the end, but for a long time, I felt like his great success with that team was he built a team around Chile Mobile. Chile Mobile, who came back from playing abroad, whose career was not going great, and he was like, I'm going to make a system that works for you. And it was fast break football. It was get the ball out of defence, moving forward very, very quickly and use your your ability in Chile Mobile just to run. And that ultimately was kind of what Conte did to Inter. They were a fast break team. He used to get in these big arguments with Capello on TV about how they weren't a counter-attacking team, but they were a, a, a team about Ripartenze, the, the, the break forward. And, and I thought, that made it such a natural choice as a replacement. You go from Conte to Inzaghi, someone who can do this, who can play this sort of football. But then what happens is Lukaku leaves. You bring it in Dzeko, who might look at a glance sort of similar, right? They're both big lugs who can be up there and 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 and, and be muscly, but plays so differently. Like mm. he's, he's very much a target man. He's a really um, elegant, even as he's sort of gone up in years, distributor. And they, they play a very different game now halfway into this season. They play possession football. They try to play that sort of high up the pitch, holding the ball football. And they brought in Hakan Chalanoglu, who at the time I thought wasn't a good signing for them. And, and he's fit into it perfectly. They're getting more out of Ivan Perisic, who I already thought had a great season last season under Conte, but he's playing even better this season. And he's put a new identity and a new imprint on this team. And I, I think... What's sort of interesting about it, oh, there's so many things interesting about it, but you've taken away Lukaku, who was 
not just for Inter, but in all of Serie A, he was the second highest scorer and the second highest assist provider last season. So you lost a hugely important individual. And you've kind of done exactly what Juventus haven't been able to do, actually, which is redistribute that responsibility through the team. Because I think Inter have something like 15 different goal scorers this season. At the weekend, they won with um, goals from Bastoni and, and, and um, Milan Skriniar, two centre-backs, and Bastoni set up the one for Skriniar as well. That They've really spread the load all the way through that team. And, and in some ways, Dzeko is this critical part of it because he is such a selfless player, even though he's also, I'm pretty sure he's the top scorer. It's him or Lautaro. It's, it's funny. Know that. It's, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? What you were saying about um, Dzeko doing such a good job for them and uh, mm. something that Conte very self-consciously did in his second season is bringing in these older players who he mm. thought would get them over the hump. Like but, Sanchez, he was one of his... Yeah, Sanchez, uh, Vidal, which mm. has had mixed results, obviously, Darmian, play, players like that. I think it's quite interesting, while still having some of these older players, there's been quite a self-conscious sense that Inter need to evolve, even while there's been this financial stuff mm. going on. I wonder, if we go on to Juventus, Nicky, have they kind of, as a club, and... Well, I, I, I say as a club, I think as a particular sporting director, have they had a look at Juventus and thought, we don't want to go in that direction because their midfielders needed a refit for so, so long. You can see that by the kind of players that are up for grabs in this transfer window, like Aaron Ramsey, like reputedly Artur as well. He's really not worked out for them at all, just as Miralem Pjanic hasn't worked going in the other direction. Now, clearly they were hamstrung from doing a refurb by the Cristiano Ronaldo wages. Those are gone now, but it feels like they've got quite a lot of work to do and Inter are looking at that thinking, we're not going to get ourselves in that situation. Yeah, well, I, I think um, Juventus got themselves in a situation by stages and some of it was through pursuing, even before Ronaldo, this policy of snapping up all these free transfers that look like a bargain at first until you get stuck with a contract and a player who's not forever playing that well, right? Like Aaron Ramsey, uh, like Adrian Rabiot. um, They've done a number of those sorts of deals that are weighing them down. And and then then they've had some other players who've just sort of gone backwards that I can't even fully explain, like Alexandra. I I thought Alexandra was a pretty good fullback a few years ago and he's Mm. been an ongoing disaster now for upwards of a season. And and that's... um, there's been regression that you sort of, those are the sorts of things that actually I think I thought Allegri would fix and he hasn't. The squad is, the squad is really being exposed now and perhaps even more so now you've had these injuries like Chiesa. Um, And Chiesa wasn't having a good season either, to be honest with you, after that Euros, I had higher hopes for him. But the midfield is, the midfield is, is a real disaster. They need a number nine. Alex, I think um, Alvaro Morat has actually played quite well the last few games, but we know who Maratta is and he's not hes not a goal scorer, really. He's not going to be someone who's going to score you even 15, 20 goals a season, probably. And, and they, they haven't got anyone in the team who is going to do that. And they haven't been able to do what Inter have done and just spread that all the way out either. So there's a lot that Juventus need to do. And I keep hearing these sorts of pie in the sky ideas about how they can sign Vlaovic and fix it all. And it feels like it's it's gone way beyond that now. Like you'd, you'd really need to... They need to find homes for a bunch of players like Ramsey, as you mentioned, and they need to to refurb the whole midfield, which they've tried to do some smart things like bringing in Locatelli. But where's the money coming from in the meantime? Because you're in this position now, we're halfway through a season. 
they're going to miss the Champions League right now. They're mm. not currently on track to make the Champions League. And, and there's a lot of good competition, isn't there? Yeah, the competition is real. They've got Atalanta and Milan and Napoli and, and Inter ahead of them. So there's, there's real reasons to think they could miss it. If Morata is not a goal scorer, as Nicky says, then what is he? Just a question that I'll leave out there. He's, he's a defensive forward. He, he, defensive. He, do, he No, he does a really good job for them in, in, His job is to in pressing goals, from the front. I think I he... Thought. I think he does. He does a job, but it's just not that job. Yeah, if he's if he's left as the main source of goals, that he's he's not he's not really comfortable with that sense of responsibility either. Mm. It, I mean, he contributes a whole lot to the team. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, if you bounce back from a loss in <clears throat> the cup to a win against Roma, I suppose uh, it's not all doom and gloom. And Jack has tweeted us and asked if things continue to decline at Roma, where does Jose Mourinho go to next? (laughs) Actually, Nicky, before we touch on that, we do have to go back and say this was kind of our way. Jack's really done us a solid here because we wanted to find a way (laughs) of wedging in this game that's now, what, four days old between Roma and Juventus. It's it's still something I'm trying to work out in my head, actually. I'm really interested to know how you saw it because for me... I mean, there was a lot of talk in the Italian papers about how this was Mourinho's most damaging of, of the defeats he's suffered as, as, as Roma coach so far. And obviously he got stuck into the team for their psychological weakness, etc. afterwards. I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating that was because for like 70 minutes of that, I thought Roma were really good. It was probably the best performance of the season of 70 minutes. Um, it's an extraordinary game of football. I think that's... I mean, you can easily say it now because we're about a month into into a year. I think if I counted last year, I would still probably call that my favourite game of the whole year to watch because it was just wild. Like you had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> it, it was a game with no rules. and, and um, Why was that? I, I think that um, some of it's just impossible to explain because you've got two managers who aren't particularly inclined to have that sort of game in, in Mourinho and, um, and uh, Allegri. You had... Uh, a sort of emotional story going on, it felt like with Roma, where they were, as Andy said, tails up. They had this swagger that had come from somewhere. They scored one slightly lucky goal from Mkhitaryan, but then you have Pellegrini, who's the one player on that team, probably, who's really having it, along with maybe Tammy Abraham, actually, a really standout season. Pellegrini scores a beautiful free kick with Francesco Totti there, who hasn't been there much, and it felt like so confident in that moment for Roma. And then just one of the most astonishing collapses that outside of Milan against Liverpool in the Champions League final, I can't think of a story like it. They conceded three goals in seven minutes and went from a position of totally in control. And who scored the winner? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I mean, Mattia De Cilio, who's the most unlikely goal scorer. It's remarkable, really. And that, that actually was a game that underlined the value of Morata. Yes. Maybe not as your main guy, but in in the way that it got changed round and um, Marco Landucci was on the bench, wasn't he? Because mm-hmm. um, Allegri's serving his, his touchline ban. And um, the changes to push Locatelli further forward and get Morata involved, that, they really worked. I mean, I'm not saying that's a sustainable solution yeah. for Juventus, but in the context of that match, that's super hard to take if if you're a Mourinho. What, what about Jack's question, mm. though? I mean, I think it's hard because I, I think he's, he's definitely running out of clubs to, <laughs> to, 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 to work with and running out of clubs 
who would be interested in him and could afford him, I think, crucially. I, I think once we get the other side of the Roma thing, not that I'm trying to write him off. I'm, you can tell me I'm wrong on that in a minute. But I, I don't think... I don't think Portugal's an obvious choice as well because you look at where they are and people are sick of Fernando Santos and his safety first, low expectations football. Well, you know, surely they're, they're going to want a coach next who lets the players they have play. Is Mourinho that coach? And could they afford him? Well, the, the answer to that second bit is <laughs> definite no. <laughs> but this is the thing. Roma have put themselves in a bind because he's he's... Depending on on whose numbers you're using, he's either the standalone best paid manager in Serie A, or he's equal with only Allegri. And the team has got, I think, the third highest wage bill in all of Serie A. And yet Mourinho comes out every week and says about how terrible it is and how all these games just prove the point that his squad is not good enough to to compete with the best teams in Serie A. Um, I I don't know how Roma even extricate themselves from this contract easily in the situation they put themselves in if it comes to that. And it doesn't have to still. Play like you did for 70 minutes and and build on that. It could go somewhere. But they have lost nine games now, which is something pretty extraordinary given how hurtly we are in the season. And they are some way behind where they were at the corresponding point under Paolo Fonseca as well, which is its own story. It's food for thought, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Um, But... I don't know is the answer to the question of where he could go next. I mean, it has to be someone with money, one assumes, but who's going to keep spending that money? Middle East. Maybe. Opa! Hey, Zed! Sanchez Bellevue, a Sass, who sold a Pernsben, Rövidzárlata Juventus Vedelmében, és Eldönti a Kupa Sorsát, Alexis Sanchez. 20 Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Por favor, let's talk about what's going on uh, in Spain. Well, seeing uh, as you've asked so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it is Spanish after all. No, uh, on a serious tip, though, uh, we're talking uh, Real Madrid versus Barcelona again, aren't we, in terms of the Spanish Cup? Are, are we talking about the old rivalry back to what it was, or is there something different about this time around the two rivals together not yet um because well we know where barcelona are financially and in 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 terms of building um i mean the whole spanish super cup format um that we've got this week is 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 fascinating because the supercopa used to be at the start of the season really intense two-legged affair and of course we associate it with great el clasicos as well you know, just really uh, one at Camp Nou, one at Bernabeu, really keenly contested. and A global um, brand, really. Yeah, yeah to- totally. I-, I-, I would agree with that. Now, I, I think it was-, it was interesting, actually, hearing our producer say to us beforehand, he can't think of such a, a sort of vaunted match in world football that's fallen so far so quickly. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, what's interesting, though, about this format is because clearly f- for the money um the RFEF have signed a deal to um have the supercopper in Saudi Arabia for for several years and it's been expanded so you've got the team this is for most super cups you you have the league winner versus the cup winner you've also got the second team in the league and the losing cup finalist involved in this two semis and a final so we had Barcelona Real Madrid for the first one and uh, we've got um at the time of recording, uh, Atletico against uh, Athletic Bilbao happening later. Now, um, Alexandra Johnson, our, our friend who was on um, the Ramble meets Celta Vigo, which you can find on Football Ramble Presents, um, she wrote, I, I think, quite um, pertinently yesterday, while they've improved Copa del Rey with its current format, at least for me, the Super Copa is completely ruined by its current format. It's basically just a way to get more El Clasicos without failing to realise that with the more El Clasicos you have, the less exciting and special they get. And I think that's especially pertinent when you think of what this being a week, a year almost to the day that all the Super League stuff came up. I think that's really, really important. And seeing it, this was actually a good game between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It was one of the best Clasicos for a while, mainly because Real Madrid made quite heavy weather of it. Because like Nicky was saying a bit with Inter versus Juventus, the gap between Real Madrid and Barcelona is considerable at the moment. And Barcelona, I understand that Xavi is building they weren't smart enough not to play to Real Madrid's strengths as well. Because if you think of the Vinicius goal and the Valverde goal, which is the eventual winner in extra time, and it really never should have gone to extra time with the, with the gap between these two, um, that both of those goals are scored in the counter-attack. I mean, if you're Barcelona, it's kind of unforgivable conceding goals on the counter-attack. To, I know they want to play possession. and stuff. Play smart as well. Because you don't have the best set of players. You don't have one of the best sets of players in the leagues at the moment. Yes, I know they've got young players like Nico and, and Pedri and Ansu Fati who came on and made an impact that they're working with. They are not there yet. So I think from a coaching perspective, that shows that he has something to, to learn as well. But there was something a bit off about the occasion, really, because, and yes, I understand the point of view that it's, it's nice for 
the global fan base of these clubs and these clubs have huge global fan bases uh, to, to, to share in seeing these teams. But I think if you know anything about football, you know that a match, especially one of the biggest matches in club football, like a Classico, means so much more in the context that it's actually in. You know, Tim Vickery taught me that ages ago, that, you know, everything around the football is what makes the football everything, really. And then you get to this point where it's removed from context. I don't see how it can be that edifying for for, for the, the, the people who are there. Imagine if this was Italy... Well, and it was the Coppa Italia. The Supercoppa Super has gone to other countries. The Supercoppa has done that. They've done it, it. it was the groundbreaker, wasn't it? It was the yeah. first first one to do it amongst the major leagues. Uh, yeah. It has. It's actually sort of done a little bit of a trip around the world before. It's it's almost interesting with the Supercoppa to see it back being played in Italy. How, how good was it to have it back at the San Siro? It was good. I mean, it, it's not... Um, Italy is, is is still being quite cautious and in fact increasingly more cautious with, with COVID regulations and restrictions. So it was it was far from a full San Siro. It was about 28,000 pounds, I think. So nothing like what it could be if it was a, a full stadium. But I think actually, especially because um, stadiums were still closed when, when Inter actually won the league, it was still quite a sort of powerful moment for those fans who were there because Inter hadn't got to share that first sort of uh, trophy with it with them in the same way and and you still had some atmosphere there but it was it was definitely not um it was not the normal experience uh, because of because because of covid which still continues to to restrict things i i think the going around the world thing you know if there's going to be any one competition you can do it with the Super Cup, Super Copa format feels like the one because it's a one-off game that you sort of can say you're not taking away from an individual group of fans. It's dipping the it. toe in the water, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't think it it necessarily does anything good for the game and its domestic profile when you do that. But I understand teams seeking something out, turning it into a four-game mini tournament with the cup runner-up that's that's a different conversation that seems a bit I mean you'd be fuming if you were a coach wouldn't you yeah I, I mean especially at, at this point in this particular season well, I mean that's what I was thinking astonishing time to do it with Covid growing in Europe to be sort of making everyone do an extra trip around the world on top of everything else and at a time when the schedules are draining and yeah it's a lot extra hmm it's fascinating what's going on there, but there are other things going on in uh, Spanish football as well. Atletico Madrid um, and Athletic Bilbao on tonight. Uh, what can we expect from that? Um, it's interesting because uh, Raul Garcia, who of course was in the Atletico title winning side of 2014 and um, then went back to Athletic afterwards, in his press conference this week, it reminded me a little bit of. Um, I remember I was I was in Australia once, and um, the the Big Bash, which is their twenty twenty competition, was sponsored by um, a well known fried chicken retailer. Let's say, <laughs> and um, and anyway, he was told he was the um, chicken retailer's Big Bash man of the match <laughs> at the end, and he said. Thanks very much, mate. I wouldn't eat that shit myself, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and what Raul Garcia said was a little bit reminiscent of that, albeit in politer words, really. Because he was openly wondering, what are we doing here? This shows that the people organising the games don't care about the fans. Mm. And, you know, he is someone... I love Raul Garcia so much because... 
he plays on the very limit of the rules sometimes, which is why he was so up Diego Simeone's street, obviously. But he's someone who plays like a hyper-talented fan. And that's why he's so easy to love. And um, that, that is why his game's weathered so well, well into his 30s, I, I, I would argue as well. as well as the fact that he looks after himself really well. But to hear a player actually come out and say, why are we doing this? And, you know, I think when they had the first Supercopa in Saudi Arabia, it was a bigger shock when you had, I think, what, 50 Atletico fans getting tickets for it because, you know, mm-hmm. who would fly over to Saudi Arabia in in January, really? And, you know, there weren't the economic conditions to, to do it. And, uh, you know, you don't have that tradition of uh, going away, as we were saying, you know, certainly not outside Europe because that, that that's, you know, never, never the case. Um, but when the players to do that. when the players start questioning it, I, I think that's that's something to look at. I, I just wonder at the moment, in terms of scheduling, and you've had Tony Crowe's talking about it as well. I wonder if the players are moving towards some sort of breaking point, really, mm. B- because you know you've had some players like get together and mobilized so for example in um, Germany during the pandemic you had um, some top um, players from the men's game and the women's game come together and say look how are we going to work towards the the common interest going forward I think this might be the year quite apart from this this is you know this is just a a symptom rather than a cause um, that the players get together and put a foot down really has there in Italy been a noticeable effect of the Super Cup going on a world tour? I I don't feel like there there was particularly at the time. I think it was one of those sort of things that was greeted with a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. It, it, feel, it feels like it's almost sort of forgotten news though, because it's been a while since, since they've been able to do it, let alone um, actually done it. So I don't know. The Super Cup Supercoppa in Italy is is a strange one because I I do feel like it's always been sort of celebrated as quite a big event and that's such a contrast for instance with with English football where the Community Shield which is kind of the equivalent game has never sort of been treated like it's a a real trophy as it were Um, but some of the sort of things that have gone on around the Supercoppa always feel faintly farcical and even this one we had a national anthem that went on so long that um, Marcelo Brozovic was was looked like he was asking Barella at one point whether when it was going to stop. Like, <laughs> and and I'm you know I remember a few years ago they had you know about maybe like a year after it was the popular thing that went through Europe they got Sai to come in and sing Gangnam Style, and that was in Rome and he got basically booed off the stage and 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 heckled and no respect and, for culture honestly. <laughs> It's 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 always there's always been something about the Supercoppa that has always felt a bit chaotic energy to me and and uh, yeah so taking it abroad and going places just felt like part of that greater mess I suppose. Dor de cabeça enorme para os zagueiros o Dembélé. Casimiro sai do primeiro. São três contra dois. Olha o Real Madrid contra golpe. Rodrigo passa. Benzema pediu o toque. Soltou. Olha aí Valverde.
actually talk German football. I'm not going to do a German word this time, although there are many options. But in particular, we talked about one player um, is will forevermore be known as the 17 million euro man, uh, Kingsley Coman. Is he worth it? Is the question. We've got to say, not just 70 million, 17 million a year, 17 million a year after tax. They've, true. they've extended his deal till 2027. Now, of course, he's only 25 years old still. And he's a remarkable, again, symptom of modern football, Kingsley Comal. And that's not meant as a criticism at all. But he's won the league um, over three clubs in nine successive seasons. And in fact, in one of those seasons, he's got two title winners medals from um, Juventus and from Paris Saint-Germain when he was um, from um, Bayern when he was loaned over there. So he started out in the academy at Paris, went to uh, Juventus uh, and and then ended up uh, eventually at at Bayern. And... um, that that could only happen in the modern era, really, really, couldn't it? It's it's just not a criticism of him, as I said, but a symptom of where those clubs are and their ability to monopolise in 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 the modern game. And I think those three are the particular usual suspects going back over the last decade. Although, as Nicky was saying, we've heard what's happened to Juventus over the last little while. I sometimes feel as well with a player, and now. Come on, we've got to be clear, is a game-changing player. There's no doubt about that. At his best, he's fantastic on either wing. He's made the difference in big games for France and Bayern in particular. Um, of course, the goal scorer, winning goal scorer in the 2020 Champions League final as as, as well against, uh, against Paris Saint-Germain. And um, the irony of one of your youth products scoring the winning goal against you when you finally get to a Champions League final was was not overlooked in Paris, I can assure you. They were faced with a really difficult decision here, Bayern, because, of course, they let David Alaba walk when they decided it was just too much. Now, he wanted something around this level to stay, although he has denied that he wanted them to actually absolutely back up the Brinks truck for him. I'm not sure how true that is. His dad definitely wanted him to. The phrase, I'm not asking for crazy things, is out there. Exactly. (laughs) And Real Madrid ended up paying him that and half as much again. So he he did okay out of it, Alaba. There's a big difference, though, when you look at the comparative ages. So Alaba's, what, four, nearly five years older than, than Coman. And... I think on paper, you can say, well, hang about. He's never played. He's never started thirty games in a, in a league season for um, for Bayern, and rarely started more than twenty twenty five. Is that because of injury? Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, obviously, part of that is down to the position he plays. Um, but Bayern have always been very careful because it's, it's why Tony Kroos went because Pep Guardiola sat him down and said, look. I know you want 10 million a year as it was at the time. This was a while back, but we can't pay everyone. You know, we have to make choices at some point. With this, Coman has gone into the top three highest paid players at Bayern with Lewandowski and Neuer. That is a big level to be on, I would say, especially when you can get injured that much. Is he well, worth it? Well, I don't know, but I think there's some practice. I would, I would lean on the side of no, despite his achievements, but... I think sometimes 
there's a sense that it's more expensive, particularly when you're at that kind of elite level, to go and start again. Because you've got to pay a transfer fee, you've got to pay a signing on fee, you've got to pay a rising contract that's negotiated on today's money rather than three years ago's yeah. money. It's interesting because Dotton was just bringing in sort of parallels to the American sports. And I think this is one of those things that you see over and over again in the NFL, for instance, is that every time a quarterback gets their new contract, it's always sort of shattering. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, how are you giving them a bigger contract than so-and-so? And it's just, that's the direction of travel, right? You, that is the way the market is right now. Yeah, because yeah, if, you don't, yeah. if you don't give them that contract, then they'll go some, somewhere else and you've then got to go and find another someone else. And whoever you're going to get, you're going to pay over the odds for, because now you've got to to, to compete in the, in the free agent market. And that's a bit different because you don't have transfer fees. But I, I saw this comparison being made with Coman because I think Bayern had been linked with Rafinha, for instance. And it was like, right, well, if you want to sign Rafinha, here's your 55 million up front, maybe. Mm. And then you've got to pay the contract on top. So, you know, if you look at Coman's contract and take 55 million off it, is it, <laughs> is it then, you know, that different it's, to what you're going to pay point. someone else? Yeah. yeah. And... And that, I think, was a really sort of interesting way of thinking about it. Because I, I, I instinctively agree with Andy. It seems madness to pay someone who's been injured that much to commit that much money over five years. But it, it is that question is, can you get something equivalent for less if you go and get it somewhere else? It's one of those calculations that I think was so excellently portrayed in Incredible Likeness of Being that when, when you break it down... You said a game-changing player, yeah, seventeen million euros a year, thirty games a year. If he's able to change uh, thirty games a year, you're only really paying him what six hundred thousand, five hundred. You're his agent, aren't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just like if you break it down like that. Yes. How much is he worth? Is he worth it? Was the only question yeah. I asked. When you break it mm. down like that, you might feel, yeah. It's, it's not just that he changes games, it's the level of games that he changes, yes. isn't it? That's, that's, that's the thing. Well, then they're getting him cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so you can always reach us any time of the week by tweeting us at Football Ramble, at Dotson Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Nicky Bandini. We've got a question here from Ernesto. What's the latest on Murata? And what are the odds that Juventus consider a swap for Memphis Depay? I, I think Murata's going to go nowhere this transfer window now. I think any possibility there was, which honestly I think wasn't that high anyway, I think it evaporated when it, when um, Federico Chiesa was injured. I just don't think Juventus, short of some really surprising moves um, bringing players in, I don't think they can afford to give up another forward right now. Um, and I actually think Murata... When Allegri came back as manager, there was always this supposition that maybe he would be the one to to untap the the best of Morata because they did have some really good times together when they were working together at Juventus, um, gosh, about five years ago now. Uh, but that hasn't completely happened. But I think in, for instance, the Supercoppa and, and at other times that the gaming is Roma, even though Allegri wasn't on the bench for the gaming is Roma, you see how the two of them fit together. Allegri is a, a safety first manager. And, and as I was sort of saying earlier in the podcast, I, I think Morata is a defensive forward. He's he's a safety first forward. He's someone who you deploy to to give you a sort of high tempo and 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 press at the front, but not necessarily to 
to lean on for lots of goals. And I, I think they they work together. I don't know if it will be a um, a forever sort of pairing, but I think at this stage of the season, with how thin Juventus' options up front now look, I I can't see them making that sort of gamble personally. I have a heart though. What about Paul Memphis? Stuck at Barcelona. It's it's a shame because, you know, I guess he's a player that if Barcelona were real, in inverted commas, Barcelona of a couple of years ago, Mm. they wouldn't have considered signing him in the first place. He's got the belief to seize the moment, but after a a good start, it's gone south a little bit and a completely different coach has has come in because he was clearly Koeman's guy and now now Xavi's come in and looks at things... uh, a little differently. Um, I really admire his belief to back himself, but there's a sense that talking of, you know, paying a lot to keep your existing place, he might even have got more money off Leon. I, I know that is not the, the be all and end all. Clearly that's not what he's after. He's after recognition at an elite club, but you know, he, he left a bit of money on the table. I, th- I think to go to, to go to Barcelona and now he's, he's struggling a little bit. And this from Paul. Why is Jesus Corona on his way to Sevilla on what looks like a, a really cheap deal? Well, Paul, um, Porto found themselves in this sort of situation before in that um, they have obviously have this tag of kings of the transfer market, which is a little bit out of date now, um, especially since Benfica have been better at selling players over the last 10 years. Um, Porto have dropped the ball with a lot of top players in recent years and um, let a lot of good players leave for nothing. Uh, Musa Marega, um, Hector Herrero, who went to Atletico Madrid, of course, Yasin Brahimi, players like that. And um, Corona is hurtling towards the end of his deal as, as well. Now, he expected to leave last summer. They were trying to sell him with a year left. The deal, and there was, it looked like a deal with Sevilla happening. It didn't quite come together for various reasons. And Corona struggled to get started on this season, or Tecatito, as he's otherwise known, struggled to get started on on, on this season. Um, Sergio Concisao doesn't want to lose him at the moment because they are short of cover. And what's so good about Corona, and it, it, it seems that um, the board would be happy to accept around three, four million euros for him, which is a bargain for a player of, of, of this sort of quality. Arrived from Dutch football as a winger, but has, has played right back as well. Uh, he's, he's got incredible athletic ability, as well as being a creator. He's learned how to defend properly. So he's very much a, a Sevilla and a Lopetegui Sevilla type of player. And, you know, he can cover Montiel. He can go a bit for, further forward. He can give a bit of relief to Lucas Campos, who an, an enormous amount is expected of him um, in terms of how much he's expected to play and how much he's expected to to drive the team. Um, but the, the, the sense is that the board would like something for him rather than nothing. Yeah, it's, it's not convenient for the club at the moment because um, th- they would have needed him in terms of uh, defensive cover but it, it looks like money's going to be the king here Dick Tito yeah well it's interesting you should say that his, his nickname Teca Tito comes from his actual name Corona because of course the two main beers in Mexico when he was growing up were Corona so and Teca Tito so because he was called Corona they called him Teca Tito <laughs> uh, games of the week got one each for us yes well, I, yeah I can give you um, 
Atalanta against Inter. You always pick Atalanta and I love you for it. Always pick Atalanta. Um, Atalanta against Inter. Look, um, a fourth in the table against first in the table. The two teams of Nerazzurri. Absolutely, as Andy says, I do always say Atalanta because they're brilliant to watch, but Inter are the best team in Italy right now. Um, so I have to... <coughs> um, I yeah, it will be a, it will be an entertaining game of football. Inter coming off that Supercoppa win, trying to maintain that momentum and kick on and win the title. Atalanta t- trying to maintain that distance ahead of Juventus. Um, both teams playing good football to start the year. Atlanta put six goals past Udinese the other day, so nothing changing there. They're still uh, scoring freely and, and Lewis Muriel in form. So big recommend for that game. And I know you like a food pairing, Dutton. Oh, that was so can't so, wait. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give you uh, polenta taranya, which is because we're in Bergamo. So a very winter dish. Um, lots of people might know polenta, which is, of course, made with uh, ground corn. It's a local version or certainly very common in, in that part of Italy in, in uh, the north around Bergamo, which is actually two thirds buckwheat instead of corn. Uh, it's as most food in Italy, it's peasant food that has got um, less peasanty over the years, but it's it's normally made with a little bit of cheese and these days would be served with sausages as well because because people aren't all living just off the farm and what they can get anymore. Unsurprisingly, peasant food they do suffer is very nutritious. <laughs> it took them years to yeah. discover that. Anyway, you've got one for us as well. Yeah, I'm going to go for Saturday night, Copa del Rey, last of 16. It's uh, Real Betis against Sevilla, El Gran Derby. Mm. I love it. It's, mm. it's, it's my favourite derby in, in, in world football, as uh, regular listeners will know. And both of these teams are in, in great nick at the moment, uh, second and third in uh, the, the table. Um, it's interesting because Sevilla, who we know from when they came into, I guess, beyond Spain sort of consciousness under Juan de Ramos, we know them as a real swashbuckling team and all the, all the rest of it. And they've still got a very exciting squad on paper. They've got a very safety first coach who likes to get his pound of flesh out of his team. And that makes them quite hard to beat. I think they've won seven, eight games, one nil this season. Um, so that makes it interesting as as well. Betis, uh, uh, there's such a great feeling around the club at the moment that a load of their players and the coach, uh, Manuel Pellegrini, have signed new contracts in the last month. Nabil Fekir, uh, one of my favourite players, has re-signed um, this week and him and Canales in the same team. I mean, it should be illegal. They're so good to watch. So there'll be atmosphere, there'll be great football, there'll be contrasting styles. And um, talking of combining all the elements available for the food, well, of course, I think you should have some sort of like wine-soaked chorizo involved. At the moment, I'm very in favour of um, frying that in some good quality olive oil and adding scrambled eggs. I'm, I'm really into that at the moment. It's a great lunch dish. You'll have to wait for the evening for this one, but it's worth the wait, I think. What about the marmalade? You're watching it in Paddington. <laughs> this was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.